Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls, which is ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going today? It's going all right today. Um, how are you, How are you today? I'm doing well. I got a few extra hours of sleep because I was super out of it all day, and uh, then I because I was I was up too late because uh-huh. of Drag Race. Because okay. I watched it. I went to Black Panther again because okay. it's really awesome. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that meant that I started Drag Race and Top Chef like at like nine thirty, uh, because uh-huh. I, it was a whole thing. I got to actually be around people and not just working during an evening time this this thursday was amazing anyways the point being that then of course after drag race like much of the interwebs i was shooketh so i needed to read reviews and recaps and such and see other people's thoughts um so Mm -hmm. then i didn't go to bed until it was stupid late so now that i've had a nap today i'm good (laughs) it was touch and go for a while there and you've still managed to watch a lot of TV, except for anything that aired yesterday. <laughs> basically. Basically, yeah. Like, I've, I've watched... I'm pretty good on the TV. Like, listeners, seriously, I was super on top of it. I was not super... Like, I was impressively on top of it. She was very on top of it, everyone. I felt bad about myself. And, and then, then... I felt Wednesday really good happened? about myself. The- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and because no, normally I, I work Thursday night. So instead, yeah. I worked Thursday all day instead of working Thursday mm-hmm. night this week. So that meant that when I would normally watch all the Wednesday... Wednesday stuff, I couldn't watch all the Wednesday stuff. And when I would normally watch all the, all the Thursday stuff today, I was recovering from being up way too late last night because Drag Race. Um, we will talk about but that. But that means really good Drag Race content. Yes. We have thoughts. Yeah, see? We have thoughts. Totally, totally worth it. <laughs> um, that's coming at the end of the show, everyone. Uh, or not at the end of the show, at, at our Week in TV. At the end of the show, we're talking about The Tick, season one and a half. The second half of the first season of The Tick uh, from, from Amazon Prime. So that is going to be our, our season spotlight. Looking forward to talking about that. But I'm also seriously looking forward to the Oscar red carpet in a way I haven't been for quite mm-hmm. a while. Because sure. I, I'm very excited to see... Who is going to avoid Seacrest entirely? Who's going to, like, go up and talk to him and call him out? Um, and really, what's going to happen? Because for those who don't know, there have been sexual harassment allegations that have come out against Ryan Seacrest that, uh, to me at least, seem incredibly credible uh, and, and, like, straight up legit. And those broke right before... The Oscars and E has decided to keep him working the red carpet. So, what do you think is going to happen? Like, what, what, what do you think about the allegations and the fact that like E apparently did some investigation and said that there was no wrongdoing or this? That's what Seacrest keeps claiming. What do you think of all this? Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you that the allegations seem credible based on the reports, um, especially considering there's at least like one witness corroborating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm in, again, I'm inclined to totally go forward with thinking that these allegations are correct. Um, and I'm, I'm in agreement with you as well as I'm curious to see how people respond to him being there. Um, 
Uh, maybe not enough to like watch it live, but enough to watch Twitter watch it live for me <laughs> and um, to clue in and see what's happening there. And but it's 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 one of those weird justifications where he's just like, well, he hasn't done anything wrong for us recently. Mm-hmm. So meh, not a big deal. And I just go, no, it's sort of a big deal, guys. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it'll be interesting, yeah, to say, at least particularly based on the Golden Globes and the way that some big celebrities were going up to talk to the uh, E! personalities in an interview and, and call them out on various uh, scandals around E! Uh, yeah. And that was without the specificity of you personally face of E!'s, like, coverage award coverage yeah yeah this is uh what we think um so we will see what happens with it but i applaud the the woman in you know the former stylist for seacrest for speaking out about uh what happened or what she says happened and um hopefully uh we will get some people earning their time's up pins Mm -hmm. anyways hopefully We'll see. We'll talk about that next week if there's something to talk about. We should also mention uh, Jeff Franklin is out over at Fuller House. Um, so, what what was the what was the deal with this one? I just heard inappropriate behavior. Right, inappropriate behavior and harassment. Um, mm-hmm. um, that was generally unspecified in a lot of ways. Um, it was really vague, but it was enough that Netflix and Warner Brothers Television both severed ties with Franklin, and Franklin is has been around forever. Um, so, I mean, he was around when, like, the original Full House was running, and, um, I think he created it. That's right, yeah? I, yeah. Sh- yes, that sounds right. Like, I can see his yeah. name in the font. Right, no, I can too. It's in, it's, like, in, in, like, Yellow. engraved in my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, in that Full House font. Uh, so, yeah, he, he denies this, um, and, but, yeah, Netflix and WBTV both conducted their own internal investigations and just went... Yeah, we're we're okay. Bye. So all of his contract deals are out. Um, Netflix is still going forward with season four of Fuller House, to which I promptly went, "Wait, what? Wow. Wait, wait." <laughs> yes, exactly. That was the same response I had. Um, was we're on season four of Fuller House, um, but they're going forward. I think production for the fourth season starts like in a month or two. Mm-hmm. So they're going forward without Franklin, um, which is. Probably at that point, with a, with a especially with a sitcom like this, or especially and really like specifically like a multi cam sitcom, a showrunner may not be like super duper important depending on like what the aims of the show are. Um, so I feel like this probably won't change what Fuller House is or does necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a, one of those instances where it's a, a mainstay of the television sort of industry going oh, bye, type of thing. And at this point, I also feel like Netflix and Warner Brothers Television Studios are just old hands at investigating these claims at this point. Between Spacey over at Netflix and then Warner Brothers Television with uh, Kreisberg. Yeah. um, Over with um, the Arrowverse shows. Yeah. Well... That is, uh, you know, something that I will not be checking in to report on. But listeners, if you watch Fuller House, let us know if you feel like there's a shift in the tone or in anything else in the production next season. Speaking of season four, The Magicians, or The Magicians, right? Or Magicians has been renewed for season four. I know there are some listeners who are big fans, so I'm sure they're very excited. 
Yeah, no, and uh, I know some former co-workers of mine who were probably really excited as well. One of them was actually really encouraging me to like catch up on the show, and I just went, I got kind of bored in season one. I mean, there wasn't enough Casey Rolls. What do you want me to do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also of interest is that the Heathers re- remake or reboot or whatever has been yeah. delayed uh, you know, in the wake of the Parkland shooting and all of the furor over gun violence in schools, um, of course, as we recorded today, there was a, another school shooting at a at a college in Michigan. Um, so I, I, my my question to you, Noel, why sure. would anyone make a show that can't be aired if there's been a school shooting recently? They happen all the freaking time. Right. No, that's 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 sort of like the big question hovering around uh, Paramount Network, um, their decision to yank or delay it until sometime later in the year. Um, and I, I don't understand the idea that we're doing this like cutting edge, witty satire, but the world's not ready for satire right now. And it's just like, mm, guess what, guys? If if your reason is that there's school shootings, then it's never going to be ready for satire type of a situation. Yeah. And so it feels really weird. Um, I know like a lot of people were really sort of split on this uh, as like an entire concept of, wait, why are, why are we positioning the Heathers as the heroes? They were clearly terrible. Yeah. Um, that was kind so of the whole point. <laughs> that was the whole point of this. And so we may see, like, um, I know that even after they announced the delay, like the first episode, I think, was still available over on Paramount Network's um, website and probably on, like, video on demand platforms. I don't know if it still is. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the reviews were sort of like mixed um, from what I saw. Um, so maybe Paramount just got a little edgy. But then this was also the same day that they dropped the trailer for Yellowstone. Did you watch the trailer for Yellowstone? No. Oh, God. Kate, it's so bad. It's ridiculously bad. It's, I, I encourage everyone to watch the trailer for Yellowstone, which is a Kevin Costner set um, Western about people taking away ranch and land. And, um, oh boy, it's yeah. like every bad cable cliche ever. Yeah, if you had just told me the title, I would have either given you that exact description or a Dante's Peak style, like, disaster movie. In, I, I would Yellow- watch the latter. Like, <laughs> like, those are the only two options for something called yeah. Yellowstone, I feel like. You know? Yeah. So, yes. And, of course, it's Kevin Costner. Don't get me wrong. Big right. fan of Kevin Costner when appropriately deployed, and Westerns is one of the appropriate deployments of Kevin Costner. Yes, it is. But no, I'm 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 good. Yeah, you're good. So how do you feel about this delay for Heather's? I mean, I wasn't interested in it to start with the right. show. Um I I have not seen the original Heathers, which may be heathenry on my part, but uh, I'm familiar mm-hmm. with it, hence my comments earlier, the right. the, the storyline and everything. Um and I know it is very impactful and meaningful to a lot of people out there but for Gen me Xers, sure yeah. yeah i didn't really care about it i haven't made time to watch the movie so uh i certainly was not particularly invested in uh what i was hearing about the new show um and yeah we got <laughs> like if you can't air your show in the wake of school shootings you were not paying attention because it is not something that is changing right now um yeah. But though or anytime the, soon, let's be very yeah. honest. At the very least, it was going to take until November. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, 
we'll see we'll see what happens. And and the 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 violence um that is like the gun violence in this country is something that you've got to understand as part of the fabric of our society and something that people are working very hard to try to change and have been for decades with limited results. So um, well, you know, once we roll out like a rating systems for movies, then we'll be fine. We'll be totally fine. We'll, it'll it'll be solved. That's you know that's really what's been holding us back. I think as a society. yeah, I think so too. We can agree. Uh, well, le- listeners, let let's uh, move to our week in TV. If, if we start talking about too much more topical, uh, we're just going to be here all day. It's been a crazy week. Um, so let's listen to some music, and we'll come back with our week in comedy and reality. in comedy and reality we're going to talk about the three episode premiere or two episode premiere of final space chapter one chapter two and chapter three then we'll talk about the premiere of atlanta robin season alligator man and i'll talk about the finale of two dub queens black nerds or aka blurds then we'll talk a little ugly delicious from netflix uh season one dropped last week uh and then we'll we'll round things out with drag race all-stars uh handmaids to kitty girls and our big revenge uh, episode. So first up is the premiere of Final Space, which is a co- uh, comedy, uh, animated comedy on TBS about a guy who is uh, the it, Gary Gary, yeah, who is in jail on a spaceship by himself and can't seem to earn a cookie for all he does. Um, I was not go. I didn't go. I didn't know anything about this going into it. I was not really expecting that much, and I found myself actually really charmed by this i thought it was cute and i really ended up having a lot of fun they they aired two episodes this week on tv they put the third episode up on the website their website and it'll be airing later in march um so i'll we won't really mention plot stuff for the third episode did you watch two or okay. did you watch three i watched i watched three um the third episode's also available like on uh your on-demand platforms. oh okay yeah, yeah yeah uh so what did you think um, I found it really um juvenile and uh-huh. dull. Okay. So I was really kind of bored. Um so I'm curious to see what A appealed to you and B after I watched the first two, I went to like go look at some reviews. And I was really intrigued by the fact that a number of reviews, um reviewers I think got to see the first five or six. Mm-hmm. And uh they mentioned how the show like emotionally matures a whole lot mm-hmm. um by like episodes like five, I think. 
And there was a lot of divisiveness among the folks I wrote about whether or not they actually earn that sort of degree of emotional maturity. And a lot of people were likening the development to Adventure Time, to which I immediately went, wait, hang on. Let's let's slow your rolls, everyone. <laughs> let's dial um, back so, those expectations. Yeah, let's dial that back a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, tell me what you found particularly charming about this um, show that is something of an adaptation of a web series from Olin Rogers, um, like a loose, I think, adaptation of a web series. Uh, and so what what was clicking in particular for you? Moonbeam's super cute. <laughs> so, and he like, makes little squeaky sounds. And, uh-huh. You know, he's a world planet-destroying weapon. Super but weapon, But he's also yeah. super cute. And uh-huh. he just wants a hug from Gary. And uh, Gary keeps getting owned by the cookie dispenser, and that's not ever going to not be funny. I think because I knew nothing about this, because I didn't have any expectations going into it, um, and because I was watching it at the beginning of the week when I didn't have a massive amount of stuff to watch yet, so I wasn't like feeling the pressure behind on stuff, I could just kind of sit with it and enjoy it and have fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was cute enough. There's a char- There's a character who's a space cat who's called... Avocado, but it's spelled avocado, and like that's the kind of really dumb pun that I'm just like, yay, thumbs up. <laughs> so I just had, I mean, yes, it's very predictable. Yes, it you can tell where they're going on a lot of the stuff. Like Moonbeam was this was this like um, caterpillar or something that I, I'm guessing Gary's father or uh, just his hero left with him. And and left and disappeared and vanished in this very heroic figure. I'm sure we're going to find out that he's got daddy issues and, like, you're the long-lost son of some... Like, there's they're planting the seeds for all that kind of stuff, so it doesn't surprise me to find out that a few episodes down the line, we should expect some deepening of the characters and some, like, uh, hidden depths and all of that. But um, I mostly I just had fun with it, and I thought it was a solid, you know, if predictable, but, but well-executed romp and i it's it's fun for me to watch uh some of the i you know to listen for the voices i enjoyed much of the voice cast um david Tennant almost unrecognizable really good it's like super super good i'm enjoying Um, this new wave of david Tennant's career doing voice work i'm yeah i'm I'm too yeah yeah no i'm very on board with Tennant's performance as the angry alien overlord character um it's really good it's really sharp um yeah, I just, I found it just really lazy in humor. I find Gary just really, really off-putting, mm-hmm. um, which he's intended to be off-putting, but I feel like they've just pushed that really far. Okay. Um, for me, anyway. So it's really, it's a lot for me. It's too much for me. And that really, like, takes me out of it. Um, so I really struggle with that. Um, and, like, I find, like, a lot of the jokes just kind of, not particularly funny or lazy. I I think I chuckled like maybe I think I chuckled the most in like the third episode. Um but I cannot for the life of you I think it was the whole weird maze yeah. uh you imagine something and it happens. That was kind of funny. <laughs> um Yeah, exactly. You Tridents. know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we're keeping yeah. it spoiled free, but I was I was yeah. gonna say tridents and yeah. See, because I was—it's it's good. I wasn't laughing watching this show. Mm-hmm. I was just enjoying myself. It was fun. Okay, but I, but I, I, I would think of it more just as like a fun, adventurous kind of show rather than a laugh out loud kind of show. I enjoy. Yeah, I think 
in more in the vein of how I enjoy Legends, though this isn't as good as Legends. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think that's fair. I think that there's like definite elements of sort of a um, ability to enjoy that it's just it's not happening for me as mm-hmm. much as like there's elements of it that I should really appeal to, including like a talking cat mercenary who very desperately wants to save his son. And I find that plot arc actually really compelling, and a lot of that's to the voice actor's credit because he's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the overall show just doesn't tickle me in any way shape or form and i was so i was just like okay okay that's fine it's a it's a it it feels very good for tbs in an attempt to capitalize off american dad off of family guy reruns Mm -hmm. and sort of like use this to sort of build out a kind of an adult swim sort of program which is i think is where this is sort of like based in uh, a lot of its humor and stuff, which may explain why, like, it's not clicking for me. This feels to me more like Saturday morning cartoons. And, like, that, I didn't watch those growing up because I had violin lessons. <laughs> so yeah. I had group class on Saturday mornings. Um, I, but I would I would get the VCR out and record X-Men <gasps> and watch that later in Batman the Animated Series. But, like, it for me, that's the kind of vibe it has, where it's not shooting for anything particularly meaningful it's not shooting for laugh out loud it's shooting for fun and silly and throws in a couple jokes for the kid for the parents but mostly it's for the kids like that's the vibe i get from it and so i I imagine if you didn't connect with these first episodes i would be surprised if that changes but i can keep you apprised if you should no keep me apprised jump back in but i'm curious now because i haven't read those reviews i'm very curious what that's going to mean for the next few episodes so listeners i will keep i will keep you apprised as well if it's something uh that i think y'all should make time for If, if you're tickled by the notion of an idiot um <laughs> an idiot in space by himself with a bunch of robots uh you know just i guess living out his sentence for unspecified things um, oh no he he blew up 93 spaceships and a mexican restaurant oh yes that's right we do see that yeah yes but um yeah. anyway so, so if you are uh curious by, about that then watch a trailer and that'll tell you everything you need to know and if this you're like yeah uh, pretty much uh, if if the notion of a uh a, a a spaceship withholding cookies because he won't shut up about the cookies does not interest you, and you're like, okay, move move along, Kate. Then yeah. then do not check out Final Space. Um, okay, let's move on to our next premiere, and that is Atlanta. Robin sees an alligator man. I I was making a cake for my dad's birthday, so I did not finish this. I got part of the way through, um, and I. Like I said, I was making a birthday cake, so I was not watching as closely as I would like to. So I'm mostly going to keep my mouth shut. I will say Cat Williams shows up in this premiere and is yes. really good in the, yes. what I saw. But um, that's about all I can contribute to this conversation. So, Noel, if you would take it away, what did you think of Alligator Man, the season two premiere of Atlanta? I really liked this a lot. Um, I liked the sort of washed out quieter tone uh, aesthetically that it gets because it's um, October in Atlanta. Um, which is sometimes really warm and sometimes not very warm at all. Um, and it's not very warm in this one. And I, I feel like the whole concept of Robin season of in which like there's an escalation, like random violence and crime uh, that gets uh, kicked off immediately by a very heavy shootout at a Mrs. Winner's, um, which is a fried chicken restaurant for those of you who aren't familiar with Mrs. Winner's. Um there was one in Douglasville for a long time, but I I didn't even know the chain was still functioning until today. <laughs> um, but 
so I like that washed out tone. I like this whole concept of that things are going to be harder because of various things of the fact that Darius and Paperboy are apparently sort of having this unstated fight that Urn is um, homeless again, like legitimately homeless, kicked out of his, um, whatchamacallit, his storage unit. Um, So I like all of this stuff and it's all such a kind of a little more in that surrealist vein that a lot of um, the latter bits of Alana really keyed in on, like with the invisible car and everything, which is still really, really good. Um, having like an actual alligator appear by the end of the episode is just delightful. And it's very weird. And I like Alana in this vein a lot. And this whole kind of how the hustle sort of ebbs and flows um, based on decisions that you've made in the past. So I'm really keen to see what else keeps coming because even Darius is like really low key. He's not particularly funny um, in the, his normal way. Like the closest thing to sort of a Darius comment we get is, I would say it's nice to meet you, but I don't believe in time as a concept. So I say <laughs> I've always met you. and But it's delivered in such a very dead way. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to this sort of like Darius is on a very much a different wavelength as everyone else. His whole response to everything feels like he's very in tune with the actual wavelength of what's being presented now. I really find that whole commentary through that character really, really compelling. Um, so I'm really excited to see what Alana has in store for us over the course of Robin season, because I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be like a darker, quieter, but also like a little bit weirder um, than we got in season one um, when they were just like having elements of weird. And I feel like they're going to lean in maybe a little bit harder on this season. So I'm really, really excited. Cool. Well, I'm excited just to hear that there's going to actually be an alligator on screen by the end of the episode. So I will look forward to finishing that later uh, later tonight. Um, Yeah, that's that's the notion of the show sort of shifting to match Darius instead of him being the outlier is right. really fascinating. So we'll have, I'm sure I have more to say next week. Yeah. Um, two dub Queens finished up its run. So I wanted to just kind of check in with that. I know that I wasn't super enthused with the like, n- notion of it. I was like, why, why a show? Um, because it's just a comedy special. It's a series of comedy specials and that's all the podcast is. So why not? You know? And I thought it was good. It was fun. If you like the podcast, you'll like the show. It's not aspiring to be anything else, but there are plenty of filmed comedy specials. Why not them? Sort of uh, is is the approach. I would love to see, you know, if, if HBO is still interested in doing, you know, they're building their comedy special brand, That would. there's no reason this couldn't be like a weekly thing that they do. You know, like, and mm-hmm. it, especially with Netflix really vying for like that title of having, you know, the comedy specials, if they want to stay competitive, HBO wants to stay competitive in that vein. I think this is a good way for them to go. I think that Jessica Williams and Phoebe Robinson are both really charming and really good as hosts and, uh, very, you know, they're, they're very smart, very funny ladies. And the show, the, the HBO would be very, uh, smart to snap them up if this is something they are interested in really committing to. But I don't know if that's the case. They only ordered four episodes in the first season. Um, I think Robinson and Williams could do a lot more of them, but yeah. You know, it's a matter of where HBO wants to spend and what its priorities are. So I think this first season was very successful. 
and the the overall like overall the like we were talking about it in our preview um and we mentioned the different comedians who were on this season they're all very funny people so like there's the bar was really high the the episodes were really consistent not all the interviews were as interesting as the others but uh having john stewart taste taste test new york pizza from a fancy place in a grease hole um, and see if you can taste it like that that was fun um sarah jessica parker being clueless about black hair less fun but you know but fine. also entirely predictable uh, yes not bad or anything but just like yeah. little you know anyways less less compelling than than what we got in some of the other episodes so uh i i, I had fun with it uh uzo dubo i can watch her talk with these ladies all day long so uh i could watch her talk with anyone all day long pretty much pretty much yeah. so uh if you you know didn't make time for two dope queens but you next time you're, you're looking for like a comedy special to put on like at a party or while you're doing some laundry or something i think that you'll do very well with with these and it's uh if you're even just like if you're a fan of awesome fashion and fabulous hair, check in yeah. for their fashion and their hair because they look great throughout the season. Um, let's move on though to our next show to over to reality, which is Ugly Delicious, which dropped on Netflix last week, and I totally missed it. Except that I was a guest over on TV Party last week, which is the TV podcast uh, that. Uh, co-hosted by a friend of the show Allison Shoemaker over at Consequence of Sound and uh Allison talked about one of these episodes there and so that prompted me to to check it out. Um this is the reality documentary show by Chef David Chang um and uh it is just each episode takes a look at a different kind of food that is often overlooked or not considered with the same reverence in the culinary community as, you know, what we think of as being the staples of fine dining and cuisine. So the first episode takes a look at pizza, then there's tacos, then there's uh, there's shrimp and crawfish, there's fried rice. Fried chicken. There's fried, fried chicken. Rice. Yeah, there's barbecue. a bunch. Yeah, yeah. barbecue, uh, home cooking. And what was the last one? Uh, the last one, which is the only one I've watched, because um, I just picked the topic that interested me the most, is about um, stuffed foods. So specifically, stuffed pasta versus dumplings. Okay. Yeah. So it's each, really good. Each episode takes a look at that food and like examines it from like a global perspective. So for pizza, they talk about the pizza all over the world. Is it an American thing? Is it an Italian thing? Is it an Italian American thing? What does that even mean? The fried chicken episode is amazing um and talks about fried chicken all over the world but also then hues in very closely to the history uh, of racism and uh stereotyping around fried chicken and the it's it's southern fried chicken you know it's history right. in the south and the different stereotypes that go with it but and then looking into diving into the financial world of who profits off of it is it you know like if you're a person who really loves fried chicken but you're black. Does that? Do you feel like you can't actually eat it in public because you don't want to reinforce the stereotype? But it's just delicious. But you don't want to be a stereotype. What do you do? Um, so each of these episodes is very thoughtful. Has interesting guests overall. There's um, too much of look. I have a famous friend uh, for me. Yeah, there is. <laughs> but in general, they're good conversations, and and it's mm -hmm. certainly very uh, thoughtful. And I loved the amount of respect and sociological exploration in each episode. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen the, the stuffed episode. That's like the one episode I haven't seen. 
Uh-huh. Uh, Noel, so thank you for checking out an episode. Ed, what did you think of, of that episode? And are you going to watch more of this? I really like the stuffed episode. Um, and based on what you're telling me, the stuffed episode is representative of the show in general. Because it's a... Cheng clearly has, through this show, a sort of political um, agenda. That he's trying to explore this idea of taste culture literally um because uh, especially within the dumpling episode a lot of the discussion is centered around why we consider italian food um this really a is has a general sort of more respect than east asian food and b and he makes this point very explicitly when he's at a dumplings place that is well regarded well respected actually has a michelin star and his whole conversation becomes about, well, here's the thing. I can order like eight, ten dumplings from this place, and it's nine bucks. I can go someplace else that has a Michelin star, get three pieces of ravioli, and I'm paying $30 for that. What is this telling us about food culture? What is this telling us about the ways we prioritize certain cuisines and the value of these cuisines? And I found that really, really compelling. Um, there's like a f- mock debate between him and a popular uh, New York Italian um, chef who reopened the Four Seasons um, dining restaurant, Carbone, I want to say. I forget his full name. And it's a silly sort of debate. And the episode is very firmly on the side of dumplings being vastly superior to pot- stuffed pastas, which they are. And... <laughs> Um, but I've, I was really compelled by this whole exploration of like I, the ways that they're very similar in terms of tradition of like how knowledge gets passed and the labor aspects of it are really interesting. Um, but I'm really compelled to watch more of this. And in fact, like I was texting my person while I was watching the stuffed pastas episode to like ask her about the show and talk to her a little bit about it. And then I started pizza episode and I got to the little bit where they're in Japan and they're just like, we're going to make pizza. And I just went, oh, I'm going to I'm going to wait and watch this with my person because I really feel like the two of us would a have really good conversations about it. But B, we also both just really enjoy food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we would both like enjoy watching and have discussions about like the cultural aspects of this as well. And to see that that kind of stuff carries through with a lot of this, because I was excited to watch the fried chicken episode as well, like halfway through the um, stuffed food episode Mm -hmm. and so i'm glad to see that that's a political stuff that political discussion that continues through this because food like all types of culture is deeply deeply political and so i'm really glad that he's keying in on that through this show yeah and do not watch any of the others but especially do not watch that fried chicken episode hungry because you shouldn't like, watch any of it like i want dumplings oh, so badly right now okay you have no idea <laughs> i managed to not get super cravings during the pizza episode but sure sure uh it didn't hurt that they were all being heathens about the delicious topping of pineapple on pizza because it's very good i could go into a whole thing it's about terrible it is oh, God. delicious it's bad place pizza it <laughs> pairs beautifully the acid of the pineapple and sweetness pairs beautifully with the tomato cuts the fat of the cheese this is a, a, a argument I will have uh, in, in the appropriate venue, which is not right now. Uh, but uh, but the fried chicken one, I was just like salivating. Just watch like fried chicken is good. Fried chicken is always delicious, but like it look it look really good, especially the Korean fried chicken like strips at this one bar that they went to. I was just like, mm-hmm. 
Oh, must reach into television and eat horribly unhealthy food. Um, so yeah, I I would definitely recommend people check it out. Uh, I've been kind of whittling away at this over the course of the week. I've got an episode and a half left. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's eight episodes, I think, seven or eight. Yeah, just yeah. if you watch just to see David uh, Chang come around on tacos, to be like, I don't get the tacos thing, and everybody else just just like lose their minds at him. Just for that, it's worth watching this. Um. But but certainly it's one that I think you could certainly uh, recommend and share like to all sorts of different people. Like I recommend yeah. it to my my sister and my brother in law. I think my uh, my parents would be you know really compelled by it as long as they don't mind over analyzing food and thinking about everything that goes into food and the culture that surrounds it. If you're like I just I just want to eat pizza, I don't want to have an hour long conversation about pizza. Then this is not the show for you. But if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> I think it's probably a show for you. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's fair. I, I, I really do. I was really compelled. Like I said, I was really compelled by that uh, last episode. So I'm really, really, I'm chomping at the bit um, to uh, watch some more of this at some yeah. point. Excellent. Well, let's let's uh, check in on that one. Maybe when you're you're done, if you have any further thoughts, I you know, can mm-hmm. see. Uh, what your favorite episode was and all of that. Uh, I, you know, now I'm just thinking, going to my Top Chef happy place with Chris's <laughs> lemonade fried chicken. Um, we're not going to talk about Top Chef this week because I mean, there's nothing to say. We'll talk about it once we get to the finale. But we are talking about Drag Race All-Stars, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, I should say, and Handmaids to Kitty Girls, which is their revenge, revenge episode. Um, first of all, how smart of it uh, of them was it to to pretend there were only three queens coming back and then to be like you know it's like there's two like that was that was such a good call like because we were all like puzzling all week oh what does it mean what does it mean it's like it means that they were messing with us um i just from from there all the way through the episode i thought it was on the whole a really smart uh st- smartly structured for maximum drama kind of episode i thought the producers did a good job i didn't care about all of the the queen's fighting with each other drama that you know spent if i felt like we spent like half the episode on i would have loved to see much more of their process like getting ready for these these dance numbers and everything and developing their characters but on the whole i thought the whole the 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 episode earned its 90 minutes uh was compelling did not have the reveal that that i wanted that i know a lot of other drag race fans wanted about bb but instead had the like mic drop elimination of the last couple of seasons and i thought it was brilliant um a brilliant move by ben de la creme and i can't wait to talk about it with you what did you think about everything up to the elimination um i think i think i'm a little less engaged by this episode than you were um in part because i was really i was really keyed in on the whole handmaids thing and the whole introducing themselves as of the said queen that eliminated me. I thought that was just really compelling and really interesting. And then they just don't do anything with that. And I was just like, but that doesn't make any sense. Why aren't we doing like some sort of weird rivalry riff here because of this? Why why are we tapping into Handmaid's Tale, basically? Apart from just wanting to have some sort of like cultural cachet type of thing. We're not extending this in any way, shape, or form. So I was really frustrated by that. Um, and so it made the entire sequence just feel like weird to me. And I, I didn't understand why we did that. 
um, if there wasn't like some carry through within the uh, rest of the episode. Um, and I feel like I'm nitpicking like that a little bit, but it, when you're building it up like that, to not have that kind of follow through just seems a little odd to me. I do agree with you, though, that the confrontations between the queens that um, we get after they've sort of had a chance to like be, oh shit, everyone's back, um, was ran like a little long and I wasn't really com- interested in watching the them rehash a bunch of stuff. Um, even though I really appreciated Aja just calling out BB so much. <laughs> I was really yeah. happy about that. Yeah, that was I was great. just, and BB's whole thing of like, no, yeah, I, what, what would that have changed? And I was just like, probably would have changed a lot. Well, I feel like that would have changed something. It wouldn't have changed the elimination, but no. it would have made baby look much better. And it would have yeah. given some props to Aja, which I think, you yeah. know, she des- she probably will, would have still been eliminated. I'm guessing yeah. they wouldn't have changed any of that stuff, but it would have it would have changed your PR significantly. Yeah. And I, I think that like the so yeah so the drama stuff just wasn't like super super interesting to me and um framing this as like sort of a uh group battle um i I missed like you said like the developing of the characters um the developing of the outfits for the characters and so it felt really kind of short in that respect to me um, a lot. And I wanted some more of that, like, this is how we're working together and this kind of stuff and how we're not working together or, which is where like a really good use of the whole of so-and-so thing would have come into play really nicely, I think. And they just, again, frittered that away a little bit. Um, But yeah, so let's talk about good PR and Bendela Krim's decision to eliminate herself. Yeah. And so... I was like, I don't, it's really good from a PR perspective and it's such a smart continuation. Like we talked a little bit about their whole concept of branding, um, like last week or the week before. Mm -hmm. And this is such a good thing of branding. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and because it was really funny because I was watching the episode and I was thinking to myself how really ridiculously ruthless I would have been in this situation had I won Mm -hmm. because I was just like, oh, well, no, this is really easy. I eliminate Changela and I bring back Chi-Chi and... Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's just like, I win is how that goes. (laughs) Um, Because that's what exactly what I would have done. Um but it was just, it's such good PR, it's such good brand extension, and it really, f- but the other thing that I liked about it, liked about it, um, was that it followed, like, sort of an episode arc with Ben's, Ben de la Creme's, um, struggle to be taken at her word for how she was trying to approach this, and particularly, like, her discussion with Morgan, uh, Morgan Michaels? Yes. McMichaels. Yeah. Um, and how that all played out. And I liked how that, that ended up being sort of reconciled by the end before the elimination. Uh, so I liked it. I was, it was really smart. Um, it shakes things up really nicely in a way that the actual, um, competition did not manage to shake anything up since the current All-Stars won. Um, so nothing really got like too shaken up in a way that I think would have been much more interesting. Um, so how did you feel about it then? Um, and like how this sort of shakes up, or is there 
anyone in particular now that you think has a legitimate shot? Do you think Morgan's return um, changes the race in any way, shape, or form? Or do you feel like the winner is pretty locked in? Oh, well, it definitely, this is a huge change because Ben Lacrem was definitely going to win. And yes. Yeah. And now it's it's more open for what could happen. Um, I will be rather irritated if if BB wins. Um, I think I I I feel like the judges have been really easy on her because mm-hmm. she won the previous season. Like these comments they're giving her, it's like you just glow with confidence. You can tell why you won. Like all all this stuff because they want to make her and make the show and make Rue look good. So if somebody who won previously is in the in the bottom, that makes the whole brand look bad. Right. Which is, you know, part of why I think they've been so gentle on BB when she was not doing great. Um yeah. but um for for the others, I mean it really I it's gotta be it's gonna be Shangela and Trixie. Right? Like mm-hmm. Kennedy has been like when she when she nails stuff, she's really good. But yeah. she's too inconsistent to make it to the end, I think. Um, and so yeah, then, I agree. I mean, who? I don't know Morgan McMichael's well enough to know. Yeah, neither do I. Like that's that's she's a wild card. So we'll see what happens with that. But no, it totally shakes up the dynamic. Um, and it, like the editors have done a really good job of building this narrative because, of course, yes. it connects back to the previous episode with Kennedy telling her, "Okay, well, you don't want the responsibility of having to pick a queen to send home, then don't play to win. Why are you here?" If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna play the game, kind of a thing, and that feeds very nicely into what we see here. This is by far the most composed and certain and calm and happy we've seen Bendela since the very beginning of the show. Her, mm-hmm. her like talking heads of "I need to win. I know what I'm gonna do. I feel so great about this decision." Uh, it works for her brand. It, it's it's a shocking moment. The what it's it's the elimination people are going to be talking about for like the whole run of this show, she mm-hmm. like of, of all stars certainly, and she already was winning every episode. At a certain yes. point, it gets it's like granted she's losing out on the the overall prize, which is a yeah. bunch of money, but yeah. but she already has twenty five k. Yeah, and you and all it takes is an off week, but she was also getting pretty exhausted. It seemed like it yeah. takes one off week and then she could easily be eliminated by one of her fellow queens, and then she's been doing all this for nothing. And if she keeps winning, not only is it boring for the show, even if she doesn't, yeah. like, pick, you know, win the lip syncs, because she's not great at lip syncing, um, even if she, you know, she's always in the top two, that gets really boring for the viewers at home, and people will, public tide will turn against her. Um, it, you know, the public doesn't want to, the viewers don't want to just see her sit down on the couch and talk with these queens week after week after week. So, yeah, no, it, it was... A I was tired of it in week four. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And all the, like, like the passive-aggressive, like, prideful stuff that she was slipping in there was like, well, you know, it's just so hard with all the... Because I just keep winning. It was like, <laughs> yes, we get it. You sh- you've earned that confidence and that bragging about yourself. You've you've legit earned that. Fair enough, but you don't get to play modest while you are complimenting yourself at the same time. That's not how it works. Um. Yeah. So I I just I thought it was a really smart move. Um. I don't know how I couldn't read Rue's face. I don't know. Um. If I the think producers- Rue's pretty upset. 
<laughs> yeah, well, but you know what? If you're upset about that, then don't give the control over who gets eliminated to the queens. Yeah. You set yourself yeah. up for that. Um, yeah, as for how this whole season's going to end, I mean, like, I think in doing this, regardless of anything else, Bendel, I mean, especially if they do the finale and anything approaching the way that they did the season two finale, or the, the sorry, the season nine finale, I should say, of regular show where they have the lip sync off. Bendel is not going to win lip syncs. She's not good at no. lip syncs. No. So she ensures that she goes out on top. She goes out with a unblemished record. And, or you know, like the most, the worst she ever did was safe once, yeah. you know? And she ensures that she's going to be being talked about for like the next however. And she like repaired that bridge with Morgan before she went and threw a little like drama in. And uh, would I have liked to have seen Aja back? Yes. Yes. But so be it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a really smart move on her part. She may have pissed off Rue, which, you know, that's not a good idea probably. But yeah. I think the, the, this energizes the show in a way that no other choice could have um so we'll see what happens there's only a couple episodes left the finale uh i agree they've totally wasted the whole handmaid's tale granted we're tv critics we like read a lot into this stuff that's what we do with a lot of our time but um it might just be us connecting so strongly with the handmaid's tale stuff but i do think that was an overreach with that however remember i was saying last week maybe they're gonna do the participation thing uh the finale is called a jury of their queers so oh, dot cool. dot dot we'll see what happens yeah. in the finale um until then any final thoughts on drag race no, I think I'm a little more energized to see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. But given again that like Morgan re-entering, and I really do feel like this is pretty much Shangela's thing to walk away with at this point. Yeah. Um, that I'm not like super duper energized, but I'm really eager to see the fallout from all of this, and I'm really eager to see them be very eye rolly at all of this because I think most of them were just like well, this is just stupid. Why are you doing this? And also, <laughs> stop being really... Uh, stop, get off your high horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No, I will, we'll see. We'll see what yeah. the fallout is. I look forward to it. Uh, what won your week in comedy and reality? Uh, I'll give it to the Atlanta premiere. Uh, it's really strong and really solid reintroduction to the show. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely uh, Alligator Man. What about you? I'm going to give it to All Stars because sure. that was a compelling and fun episode of TV. <laughs> uh, certainly by the end, I was like, and because you feel like it's going to be pretty straightforward until the very end. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was, I had seen all these reactions on Twitter, thankfully without spoilers. Thank you, Twitter. Um, and I was like, what? Why is everybody? And then, then it happened and I was like, okay, props that are snaps, snaps for that because uh, that's a good call. And, I look forward to the reunion show. We'll see oh boy. what happens there. Um, okay, now we'll take a break, listen to some more music, and come back with our week in drama and genre. You who are on the road must have a code. That you can live by And so Become yourself Because the past Is just a goodbye Teach Your children well Their father's health 
slowly go by and feed them on your dreams. The one they fix, the one you know by. This week in drama and genre, we're going to talk a bit about the premiere of Good Girls and also the premiere of Unreal, uh, Oath. Then we'll move on to the premiere for iZombie. Are you ready for some zombies? Uh, move over to Black Lightning, Three Sevens, The Book of Thunder, The Flash, Subject Nine, and The X-Files, a stupid title for a stupid episode. So first up is Good Girls. Uh, what did you think of this uh, pilot? Boy, um... I feel like these three women deserve a lot better than this. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has Christina Hendricks, uh, Retta, and Mae Whitman as um, frustrated uh, women with various problems that only money can solve. And so they rob a grocery store, and that is pretty much like the extent of what you know about this show if you've seen any NBC pro- promo for this show in the lead-up to its premiere. is that It kind of seems like a fun show about three women robbing a grocery store. Why wouldn't you want to watch that? Well, here are some reasons, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, it, it's so aggressively, like, piloty, so aggressively relying on really worn-out cliches and um that it's it was really frustrating to watch it um and i just as much as i really wanted everything to work out in terms of like finding the show interesting because i like all three of these performers a great deal um that they're stuck in this sort of just dull derivative sort of program that telegraphs everything in that pilot really way too much that I don't, I don't know that I would ever want to watch a second episode of it. Um, and even though I really like, again, all three of these performers a great deal. Uh, so we can dig in a little bit, but how did you feel about um, the pilot overall for Good Girls? I liked this way more than you did. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, cool. I would much rather it steered into its comedy because I think the comedy works yes, much better than the does. drama. Um, it is trying too much for a uh, a Breaking Bad vibe. Uh, mm-hmm. For a later season Breaking Bad vibe. Yes. Uh, which yeah. you don't get to do in your pilot. Uh, but if you uh, want tell to that learned. to good girls. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the, you know, I look forward to seeing these actors get to do the dramatic stuff. Sure. Um, because they're very good and they can nail it. Uh, but I think the comedy so far is more successful. I also think that um, the rest of the cast is, is very good. Uh, yeah. Rickety Cricket shows up. Uh, and is very good in his role. That's David Hornsby. Um, and uh, then there's also uh, Matthew Lillard, who is just perfectly cast here. And mm-hmm. he's always – he's very good. He's been very good in the last several years uh, since The Bridge, really, when he's sort of popped back up. Yeah. Um, but he's given the most – stereotypical of Matthew Lillard kind of characters, but uh, I think, you know, I know that he can do a lot if they want to give it to him. So I'm hoping we'll get sure. more depth there. Certainly it doesn't happen in the, in the premiere, but some of the twists in this first episode that I guess I won't go into in case people haven't seen it yet uh, are underwhelming and not particularly uh, exciting for me. If they want to go into these darker, more dramatic places, I don't think they get to cut corners like, We've had this giant donation to your to the the GoFundMe. It's like you can't just have a giant donation that has to come from a bank account. You can't just like have a cash 
magical donation to your GoFund, like anonymous. Don- no, like that's not how it works. How did you launder that money? Like, like the idea that they explained the influx of cash for at least one of the characters through an anonymous GoFundMe donation is actually, I think, a really great call. It's a good idea. But you don't get to just explain that away with, like, a half a sentence uh, that doesn't doesn't work. If you're going to then try to go for dramatic, gritty things in other places, like, you don't get to do both. Either it's lighter and more comedic, and that's how you explain some of that stuff, so you don't, you just kind of hand wave it away. Or it's more realistic, and they're going to have the cops on them because it's this giant stack of cash that they're trying to to figure out how to hide. So, um, yeah, it it doesn't know where this was saying um, when I talked about this previously over at TV party. It doesn't know what it wants to be exactly yet. So I'm hopeful yeah. that they'll figure it out. Um, so I'm going to keep watching, but I absolutely understand uh, if the if the issues here hold you back from wanting to keep with the show for now. Right, because those twists that they're like, there's so many in this pilot. There's mm-hmm. one, two, three, arguably like three and a half yeah. within the pilot. And they're all like pulled from other shows or other trends within television within the past um, like five years. Yeah. Um, like one is basically lifted from a Showtime show. One mm-hmm. is basically lifted from literally any show in which there is a woman in peril mm-hmm. um, in the pilot. Um, yeah. So it's really frustrating to watch this sort of stuff play out against the tonal stuff that you mentioned, which is that they clearly have no idea what the tone of this show is in a way that is is interesting to watch or is creates a unified cohesive approach to the material and between the bad twists and that inability to balance those tones or a refusal to commit to one of those tones really uh, just makes this a real struggle for me to watch. Yeah. I respect that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I will let you know if it improves, if it like starts to figure itself out. Um, I'm along for the ride for right now, and it helps that it's an early in the show, early in the week show. (laughs) Yeah. No, that makes a huge difference. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, we'll see. I I do not know that I'm sticking with Unreal. Uh, I wasn't gonna even watch the premiere, but you watched it, and I was like, oh, let me talk about it. Who's Uh, a sucker? This guy. Yeah. So, Noel, (laughs) what did you think of Oath? Well. It's so bizarre to think about this show in a sense of it's been off for basically almost a year and a half mm-hmm. um, and coming back. Um, they've changed showrunners and again for the <laughs> for the third season straight. And apart from some sort of meta wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, maybe we don't murder anyone this season. Hey, maybe, you know, we don't do any of the things we did last season. Sort of like funny, haha type stuff. I just kept going, are we sure we change showrunners? Because it doesn't feel like this is a show that is aware of the problems that they had in the second season at all. Totally stylistically, it's exactly the same show, which doesn't give me any confidence that the show has learned anything, is interested in growing. And the fact that we are, each season we keep having to go back to roping Rachel back into self-destruction is just exhausting. There's, 
no reason for it and it's really frustrating to watch it and also every time jeremy shows up i just go why is jeremy still here i don't care about your narrative justifications for jeremy still being here jeremy's terrible please go away mm-hmm. um yeah it's just it's not it's not interesting it's not good and i was really dismayed and but not surprised that given their whole we're gonna do the bachelorette this time they're really on the nose with the whole concept and anxiety surrounding the Bachelorette character as how it relates to Quinn and uh, Rachel. And they're just so on the nose about it that I'm just like, you need some subtlety, just a little bit. Um, so I think my favorite thing about Oath was the fact that uh, Jimmy, the sketch artist from iZombie, is their editor now. And I liked <laughs> that. Um, but how did you feel about Oath? And I apologize for you feeling compelled to check yeah. in for this because... I watched it. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. Um, yeah, no, it's it's the same show. And yeah. You, that was fresh in season one. Mm-hmm. But it's season three now. Uh, I can't promise I won't watch more of it because it is just fun to watch Constance Zimmer yell at people. Oh, God, she's so good at yelling she's at people. She's so good at yelling. She's good, so good at lots of things. I can watch her yell at people all day long. And maybe I will now that I've watched the first episode. It kind of reminded me of how great it is to watch her yell at people. Um, but no, it's just it's tiresome to to watch them set up the exact same beats again yeah. for a third season and to not have learned anything from the mistakes of the previous season. So, like, yeah. Oh, unreal. If, I'm sure the people who liked the previous seasons will like this season as well. Um, I can't promise I won't watch it. I really enjoy this cast. But it's just, it's not good. It's not good. The show used to be good. I remember when it was good. It had such promise in its first season. And they have not figured out how to recapture that. So, figure, you know, it'd be great if they did. Maybe you will. Yay. 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 Paychecks for Council Zimmer and, and for Sherry, Sherry Appleby, Appleby and yeah. for a bunch of these guys. But For a lot of really good actors. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Jer- like as soon as Jeremy is not like just somewhere else, why why would you off screen the, the, the shrink and have the shrink take the, the blame instead of having Jeremy have taken like that's a, that's a perfect way to write the character off. You know, like, they should have realized that's what they needed to do. Like, this is a corner of the show that was totally failing. But, like, not knowing your strengths and your weaknesses uh, is a bad sign in the third season of a show that struggled significantly in season two. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think we're probably both a little kinder on the season four premiere of iZombie. Are you ready for some zombies? I, yeah. I, have to, I have to i have to are you ready for some football that like i know there's a question right, mark, no but... that's the that's the entire point yeah anyways um, uh what did you think i liked this episode um and i i should like full disclosure i've seen the first five mm-hmm. um and so i won't say anything about the episodes coming up um but i will say that they are all generally consistent in the same vein that this is and so I really liked how they managed to sketch this portrait of New Seattle and the various things that have changed as a result of a contained zombie sort of apocalypse mm. um, from the fact that there's a curfew instilled by um, uh, Fillmore Graves. Zombie visions aren't admissible in court, but they're useful as leads. And this kind of a thing, I think, is allows the show to keep a lot of its... Um, basic like spine of episode spines in place while still sort of opening up this world in a way that I was sort of really antsy about them doing. 
And apart from one very small section of the show, and I bet you can guess which section it is, um, that I really, I really think that they've done a decent job of making the show bigger whilst making sure that it hasn't gotten too big or too unwieldy, even if there are still way too many cogs that are moving um, as Rob Thomas just basically refuses to write for a 13 episode season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, as, as niche as this brain is, um, I also think thematically it works as like this idea of like unifying the concept of Seattle through the most obnoxious thing about Seattle that is an Amazon and gentrification. Um, this Seahawks super fan, 12th man brain stuff. Um, I think it's a good sort of first move. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was generally pretty on board with this premiere. Um, how did you feel about it? I liked it. It was a fun premiere. Uh, and I'm, I'm cooler on the show overall, but I, it was was a fun premiere. It was, you know, like the changes to the world, I think, uh, were, were good and smart. I think having there immediately be a brain shortage is a very interesting Mm -hmm. way to go. Um, and we'll see what comes next. I think, uh, I don't know if I speak for you, but I, I feel pretty confident that I'm not alone in saying, guys, David Anders is great. Kill Blaine. Blaine should not be on this show. Blaine's crazy dad shouldn't still be on the show. Like, though he makes for a much more compelling villain, I don't like that, you know, in the era of, of Me Too, we have someone who's been accused of all sorts of, imp- of, of sexual harassment on set is getting re- brought back in. Yay! Good job, As a series regular, no less. As yeah. a series regular, apparently. So we know how, how much you actually care about Me Too and Time's Up in your decision-making process. Okay, that's great. But yeah. even just, like, it's too fractured and the show really suffered in the previous season because they were trying to horse, you know, just like really force Blaine into things. They have too many characters. They've got too many different pieces. They need to cut, but it's that same thing that I think a lot of shows run into as they expand over the seasons and they really like their cast. So they don't want to fire anybody. I get it. Your show is suffering because of it. Yeah, and I I disagree about Blaine to a large extent, as I think that his new position within New Seattle, I think, sort of justifies his presence to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, his dad, uh, played by uh, Robert uh, Knepper, Knepper? Knepper, yeah, um, is like a complete non-starter. Like it's a it's the corner of the show that I think just doesn't work. It's not very interesting. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. And, um, it, it feels like way too sort of motivated by a survival carnotist sort of perspective that doesn't tell us anything new about that character. Doesn't tell us anything new about this particular, um, subsection of, um, frustrated zombies, which you can do without this sort of messianic, Elmer Gantry sort of deal mm-hmm. happening here. Um, so that part, that corner doesn't work for me. And um, it's not interesting. It doesn't get any more interesting as it goes along. I'll say that. Um, so, but I totally understand like where you're coming from with Blaine and that if getting rid of Blaine, they should have done it like 
a while ago. Um, but I still think that between the scratching post and the more upscale version of the restaurant that he's got now, um, there's a degree to which he is presence feels a little more motivated, but I, I still take your point. And I think that most people would probably agree with you mm-hmm. that it would have been time for him to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they just, why would you want to get, uh, if you're not alias, why would you want to get rid of the names? <laughs> yep, pretty much. Um, I do like their answer for Ravi. I think that uh, works well, although I don't buy at all the, the way they introduce that in the episode. He's too much of a scientist for that, so that's ridiculous. But I like the solution they have. Well, and you can cut this part out. Here's the fun thing about that Ravi thing. They don't go back to it for another four. They don't address it again for four episodes. Okay. Good yeah, to know. Yeah, no, it's really weird. Like, it's that, it's the premiere, and then they never mention it again, which is why I'm, like, what, what I was alluding to with Rob Thomas. Yeah. Too many cogs and refusing to write for 13 episodes. They don't mention it again. Well, you know, I think that, and I'm going to leave that in because I feel like yeah. saying what they don't do is, you know not a massive spoiler especially with okay. something that is a established in this premiere as a like relapsing remitting kind of situation right. yeah. doesn't but, come back um yeah and that's good for even just like so that listeners know not to expect it that might make then the next episodes them enjoy the next episodes more because they won't be looking for that but um yeah yeah that's um that's interesting and again a sign yeah. that they've they have too much going on to, to handle it yeah. all well. Yeah, and I think that, I do think that they have too much going on, yeah. Too many so, cogs. Too many cogs. No. What about Black Lightning and Three Sevens, The Book of Thunder? Do you have our basically our big introdu- introduction to Thunder, which is, the you know, Anissa's superhero name. Uh, not yeah. on the show yet, officially. No. But in, like, comics lore, she's Thunder. No, I really like this episode on a couple of levels. Uh, one, all the Anissa stuff I think is really strong. And watching the fight between her and Jefferson is really, really good. It's still um, good. Yeah. It's a really good fight. Um, I don't even care about the contrivance that, um, uh, what's her name, is like tied up and gagged. The mom, yeah. The mom is just like, I don't care that she can't give the information necessary to prevent this from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's really good. Um, and I liked how the show played off. Um, this episode in particular plays off Jefferson's concern for his daughters versus his ex-wife's concern for him and that he's talking out both sides of his mouth throughout the episode but they don't like hammer that point home really hard in the episode which I really appreciated it's just like the show trusts you to pick up on the fact that he's chastising his um his younger daughter for being for doing the exact same thing that he's doing or well no chastising anisa i should say yeah for doing the exact same thing that he's doing for getting into trouble with the law putting herself at risk for the same thing that his ex-wife is yelling at him about but the show doesn't hit that particularly hard so i really liked that aspect of it but i also really liked how this episode sort of tackles issues of fatherhood of community and how this gets tied into racial community specifically within the african-american black community and so i really liked how all of that kind of came together in this and this was sort of the show that i was waiting for black lightning to be from sort of the from the out of the gate for me in a lot of ways um is in the very explicit way that it is in this particular episode so i was really keen and on board with this episode um basically across the board apart from the whole um wheelchair disability um sort of misery kind of thing um that is it's very comic booky but it it's just 
it's a lot to get through, I think, for me. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, I think the episode is really, really strong. Um, what did you think about it, though? Uh, I, For me, actually, the strongest, one of the strongest parts of the episode, mm-hmm. probably the strongest part of the episode, results from that, which is that great mm-hmm. conversation we get with Jeff and younger daughter who's not Anissa. <laughs> I've learned Anissa's name, guys. Right. No, we've we've learned that Super largely thanks to Allison. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, the, uh, the that conversation of, well, what you need to find out, figure out, is if this is who he's always been and this this you know this trauma jennifer jennifer yeah if if you know this is who her boyfriend's always been and that like that darkness and hatred and bitterness has always been there inside of him and is being brought to the surface from from his his crippling and all the the pain he's having to endure and the unfair like just horribleness of what he's dealing with or if this is just a reaction to that and the goodness that she's always seen in him is still there and just needs to be fostered to help him get through this this dark and hard moment and then come back into who he's always been. Is this revealing or masking who he is? Mm-hmm. Uh, that conversation, I think, is terrific and really shows the highlight. It highlights the strength of the show, which is that relationship between Jeffrey and uh, and Jefferson, Jefferson, sorry, and his his students and his family. Uh, the mm-hmm. the what makes Black Lightning such a good show is not the superhero stuff. It's all the other yeah. stuff. And yes. then we get to watch people dress up in outfits and like punch each other and punch bad yeah. guys. Like that's what I used to always say about Buffy is that it, yes, it's it's just like a regular soap, but a really well done one teen drama, right? With all these interesting conversations they're having about what it means to to be a teenager and then a young adult and and an, just straight up adult later on in the sh- in the show's run, but then there's also like magic and punching and like quips and good, you know, like that's what I look for in in these kinds of shows. So, um yeah, they're doing a good job. I don't care about all the gamey stuff. Still don't Oh care. god, it's so bad. It's really it's- bad. Yeah, and like the whole reveal that he's had to deal with Lady Eve is just like yeah. Nobody cares. A, nobody cares. And B, this isn't this isn't good. For, this isn't this is setting up like a whole like sort of weird betrayal, secret keeping thing, which is two part and parcel of the Berlanti sort of universe mm-hmm. um, of sh- of superhero shows, and it's really frustrating to see that keep playing out in these shows, which we can talk a little bit about in relation to Subject Nine in a second, mm-hmm. but. It, it's just like who cares and it's it's not interesting at all in any way shape or form because it relies too much on us not knowing anything yeah and so we're just left going oh so something happened nine years ago to keep everyone safe and gamby did that but now gamby's not talking about it even though it would make complete sense to tell jefferson about this yeah yep it's yep. just stupid yeah, I don't have any other thoughts. I the fight scene was great. The st- the the I think they revealed Anissa and Thunder at the right time. The yes. fight scene was I just love the like think he missed. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Um so so they're the overall pacing I think for the show is working uh, going along nicely. They just need to figure out Gamby and then they're they're in good stead, I think. Certainly for by episode six of a first season they're in they're in a pretty good condition. Yeah, I think so too. More people need to be watching the show though. The ratings are not good. 
Oh, that's disappointing, but sadly, regrettably, not super surprising. Not super surprising. Um, let's move on to The Flash, subject nine. Um, I mostly have violin-related thoughts about this episode. Imagine so my surprise! I know! Uh, why don't you do anything you have to say about the episode that is probably more substantive and meaningful? <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Um, I'm really frustrated with DeVoe. Um, like, we sort of talked about this a little bit in the Jailbreak episode, but it's just, like, his whole plan is to steal superpowers, and that's, that's not interesting. Like, the whole, it's not interesting, like, where are we going with this sort of thing? And now we've transitioned from a white guy living in a black, getting out, and now he's taken over to female bodies, and it's just like, oh, good lord, guys, come on! Yeah. Pick up pick up the tone issue here, everyone, please. And um also like piling on sort of a weird kind of well, I think my wife will like this body more sort of thing of like, oh no, this is this is not great. This is not a good look for anything. And it is also one of those things that sort of undermines for me what I was excited about with DeVoe, which was an intelligence. And this is more so of a well, no, I'm really, I'm really smart, but I'm actually just collecting these powers for a reason. She's like, oh god, just tell us what you want to do. Um, so that it was just really, it was dull, and I'm like really worried that this Devo plot, while still better than like uh, the, the Savitar stuff last, yeah, is a better than Speedsters and b better than the Savitar plot last season, but it's like. The Flash's insistence on keeping their big bads end games a mystery until like the final run of episodes is just exhausting by season mm-hmm. four, and I'm I'm over it. I'm just I'm very over that whole conceit of the show. Um, so yeah, the episode itself I think is generally sort of I think they do a decent enough job of getting me on board with the idea of Dimni uh, being really into this uh, uh, country singer slash musician. Um, but I also feel like that there's just maybe not enough time to justify killing her to justify, um, the overall reaction. Um, but I am also admittedly sort of totally into the idea of Barry and Dibney becoming private eyes, even though Barry would need to pass a private eye licensing exam to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that there's at least some ramifications and acknowledgements of the whole, well, some people have questions about this sudden miraculous return of DeVoe, but I also immediately go, well, then why aren't we doing more about that <laughs> central city police force and maybe taking blood samples and mm-hmm. like really thoroughly investigating that in a way that you're clearly not. Um, so that's sort of where I am of like this, sh- I'm really sort of frustrated with this sort of scattered shot approach that this season has had, even if the overall tone is something of an improvement, um, from the dourness of, uh, last season. But please tell me about the violin slash fiddle playing. And also, since we didn't discuss it last week, um, but you did discuss it over on the, uh, the podcast that you're cheating on me with all the time, it feels like, <laughs> um... About Mari's um, violin playing over Legends of Tomorrow uh, last week and how these sort of things stacked up a little bit for me, please. Yeah, okay. So I will say that, um, oh my goodness, Celeste, the lawyer, uh, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I loved the stuff that we got with her and Harry. I thought that was terrific. That was that was lovely. I like how he kept using her full title regardless. It was very yeah. it was just very good. Yeah. Uh, I, oh yes, I'm trying to befriend you. The transitive property of friendship. Like it's delightful. <laughs> um I, I enjoy this flavor of Harry much more. Um so that that stuff all worked really well. But no, the thing for me with around violin related stuff, um Okay, I lied. <laughs> One more other thing, and then the violent stuff. Okay. Uh, they're and this ties in with the violent stuff. They are completely miss missing the mark with Devoe. Uh, based on what we've seen from the last couple episodes with him, he does not care about his wife. He wouldn't be doping his wife into loving him if he did. Uh, so he at some point pivoted from having a genuine relationship with her to seeing her as an extension of himself. And that is something that they try to like back burner, I guess, or try to walk back from in this episode. And no, you don't get to do that. So uh, no. that ties into the violin thing at the end of the episode when the, you know, DeVoe in the the new person's body, Izzy or whatever, is playing the yeah, Bach, the, the Bachchacon, which is a uh, one of the great uh, unaccompanied. Right, it's a beautiful piece of music. Violin pieces. It's listeners. It's real hard. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it's an amazing piece. If I could only play one piece for the rest of my life, it would be the Bachchacon. If I had to pick one, I was only ever allowed to play one piece ever again, one movement of anything. It would be that one. Um, but when she finishes or he finishes playing. Like, the performance, like, he looks over at his wife for approval, and she's like, yay. And that is not DeVoe. He would not, he's not playing for her. He was playing for himself. And and so, and the, the, the actor clearly has uh, experience playing the violin. Like, there's enough right in what she was doing, uh, that she knows what she's doing. But the Bakchacon is really hard. <laughs> and that, and it was very strange. They, they took a part from the middle and had that be what they, what she played. Right. When right. She Which finished. is a weird choice to make for that piece. Cause the ending is super dramatic. Yes. Like you could yeah. have just done the ending. Um, anyways, and, and, and I don't know if you noticed this, but like the, the last note. Yeah, her, no, I did. Like, it's a little weird. In yeah, the, their posture yeah. is contorted, um, yeah. very actively not doing any vibrato while the audio has mega is, vibrato. And right. like, Even it, I noticed that. So. Yeah, it was very strange. They did a bad job mimicking, mimicking. like, the, the hand is in the right place for that note in second position. Um, the, the, the way that she was playing before she was in first position, and then we cut away and we cut back, and all of a sudden, she shifted for no reason. But, like, the whole posture is wrong for if you were really playing you can't play that piece with that kind of tense posture it doesn't work it's too hard um but the uh, you know like that that lack of awareness of uh of the physicality and of but more than that just of the performance of what the actor should look like to convey the emotion you know of the scene of the the dynamic with the devoe and his wife and of that music altogether, like that could have been great, um, but instead it was just really awkward and strange, and didn't none of it lined up. the The character arc didn't line up. the the uh, The commentary on um, evil supervillains like classical music, 
Uh, I mean, don't like anything else. Like none of that lined up. It was very strange. Um, earlier in the episode, I like they did all she did all this string crossing stuff to be her superpower, but the music didn't do string crossings. Like what? Are you kidding? If you're gonna have her go like like if you're gonna have her jump up fifths at a time with her bow because then there's more motion and it looks more exciting. There's no reason you can't have the notes do that, too. Right, yeah. And the notes are going, like, a bunch of it all in a row that would be on the same string. Like, come on. Now, I don't expect better than than that for The Flash. But last, literally just last week, they crushed it on Legends. They absolutely nailed the, 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 the feeling of that last scene that we got with Zari playing the violin. Um the she the actor plays and was playing the actual piece the audio doesn't line up so they recorded it separately um i don't know if she recorded the audio we heard or not but they had much better awareness of respect for and integration of the violin in that scene the the physically just like visually and, and everything looked right the performance from the actor matched everything that was supposed to be going on and the choice of the of the piece really matched the tone the performance matched the character like it, it all came together to just have a beautiful beautiful ending to their silly zany time loop episode except for the tag but whatever um now and then in this None of it works. Not like I, they pick the Bach ch- Chacon. That's somebody who knows their classical music for to be like the ultimate example of the piece that DeVoe would would value. And after snidely uh, referring to anything that wasn't classical, basically as like chicken scratch. But everything else about the performance and the um, like the scoring and, and, and the character motivations and all that, none of it came together. It just I literally laughed out loud. Noel. Like, it's not the actor's fault. She can yeah. play, but, like, that... She can't play the Chacon, clearly. Like, and I don't blame her, because that's really hard. Um, And you wouldn't expect someone who wasn't, you know, spending a lot of time with their instrument to be able to play it, even if they had previously played for a, a long time. But, like, everything about it was just phoning it in. And if they hadn't done such an amazing time with basically the same team over on Legends yeah. the week before, then I wouldn't have expected that they would do better. So it just, mm-hmm. it was, it was, yeah. It shows to me, it really highlighted how, um, how much they're bungling this DeVoe stuff. Yeah. And, and the character arc and really understanding what that needs to be. Um, but eventually we'll get to the end of the season and the wife will betray him and, Right, that's what they're setting up, and it's just taking us forever to get there, ironically. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, on the, the violining, or am I just being entertaining with my, you know, I am not a crackpot, but be even better about your classical violin? Well, I mean, on the upside, I mean, at least they picked, like, a Bach piece that isn't, like, everywhere when they're wanting to do some sort of sophisticated Bach sort of representation, which is Mm -hmm. just, like, they picked the one Bach piece over and over again for that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I liked that aspect. But even I was picking up on, like, this doesn't seem right for this. Um, So I'm I'm with you on that. And I was curious about how you felt about uh, Zari's performance as well and um she did did a good job yeah yeah no she and i felt like she did a really good job on it last week as uh that not last week last week yeah yeah last last week week. yeah Yeah, uh, as well so yeah i don't think you're a a crackpot thank you um but the other thing is like 
Zari shouldn't be able to still play anymore. It's more than mental. It's physical, too. So she should be able to play. But I, <laughs> but it's Legends, so, like, Maybe I'll give she's it to been him. practicing in her cabin. You don't no, know. I and do know. also, maybe she's been practicing because we don't know how many times she went through that time loop. No, no, that's not what I, what I mean. She went through that time oh. loop in her brain. Her body never oh. went through that time loop. That's fair. So that means that she shouldn't have the muscle, muscle like, stamina and endurance and strength to do it. Um, but also... Izzy does not know the Bakja cone. That's ridiculous. Like that's not but that Devoe people... would. What but Devoe, Devoe would might... know the song. He doesn't know how to play the song though. No. He doesn't know. He may. Like... He's super smart, Kate. Yeah, but he he doesn't know how to play the Bakja cone. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and like Izzy, that's not saying that is that character couldn't have a really strong classical background. Don't get me wrong. That's not saying that. It's just like yeah. maybe she learned how to play it at some point and is just remembers how to play it perfectly or at least they want us to think she does all these mm-hmm. years later when she's gotten away from her classical roots that like it's ridiculous um but i do appreciate again i to give some i do appreciate the specificity of that choice that yeah. is a that's someone who knows their classical music making that choice which i appreciate but then don't expect that your actor is going to be able to do it because it's hard you know, like, it's real hard. So if you don't know that your actor can play that piece, pick a piece that your actor can actually do. Yeah. And do that instead. I don't know. Anyways. <sighs> okay, let's move on. Uh, last episode. You want to talk about X-Files a little bit? You can talk about <laughs> X-Files, because this episode is terrible. And apparently you found things interesting about it. I, I was yeah. like, in the first five minutes, listeners, this is an episode all about how we're automating everything and what we we're, we have self-teaching AI and we better and, and so AI is our children, and we need to teach our children well, uh, and also tip them. Don't forget that. You but have like, to tip like, them. not only do they use that song over and over again in case we didn't quite get it, they also have Mulder literally say that same thing. We need to be better teachers. Like, oh my god, this episode is terrible. Like five minutes in, I was like, oh, is this really what? We're going to do, there's going to be almost no dialogue in the entire episode, and it's just going to be man versus machine, and look how automated our lives are, man, and we're all in the machine. Like, it was, it's really bad. Right, it is really bad. Like, I am in, I am in full agreement with you. Like, I was watching this, and I was texting uh, with friend of the show, Corey Barker, about it a little bit, because he's, he hasn't watched any of the season yet. And he was just like, so is this as bad as season, season 10? And I'm just like, it's probably worse at this point. Mm. Um, but, and I was like relaying everything that was happening in like the first bit of this um, episode to him, and he's just like, Jesus Christ, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, and it's it is, bad. like... It does a like it doesn't make any sense that this restaurant is completely empty. Like there are no other diners. That makes literally no sense for yeah. this kind of a restaurant would be very full. Um from people wanting to try it. Um and the fact that there's no one there is sort of like a it's a weird sort of thing in which scientific sci-fi extrapolation requires a degree of grounding for it to work. And when you have no one else in that restaurant and you're just like, oh, no, we're just going to do, like you said, like a big man versus machine, maximum overdrive sort of episode. And you just go, but where are all the other people? (laughs) And there's a thematic reason for it, but it's Mm -hmm. not compelling enough to justify the exclusion of other people. Um, Also, how does either of them afford those houses and like... Right. And I mean, that's sort of been an issue with Mulder's house. I feel like 
this is the first time we've seen Scully's house. Yeah. And I have, I am like Mulder in which, why is your house so much better than mine? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just it figured doesn't... like Mulder, like, like the cigarette smoking man or like somehow like his, or his mom or somebody, like it was a family house that got passed down to him. That's like what sure. I figured for him. But I was like, yeah. look at this one for Dana, Dana and I'm like. Okay, you have your own very large house on a government income. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, but what I did find compelling is the... It's one of those examples of the X-Files doing something very different. Um, not doing it well. <laughs> <laughs> but willing to do something very different. Um, uh, the stretches, their sort of format of what the show typically is... And I really like that idea, and it speaks to the sort of the value of the show, especially with its episodic sort of um, emphasis uh, when those come up. But it's just, it's, and as I'll remind you and listeners, I haven't watched a single episode of Black Mirror, but I this is what I assume a bad episode of Black Mirror is. And um, it, it was just really frustrating to watch it. And from just a plot level, from a sort of general sort of like, Oh God, I get it. I really get it. Of phones are bad. We need to interact with other people and just all this sort of stuff. I I get it. I'm I this is not a new concept for anyone, which is why like when I was watching the episode, I tweeted about how, oh God, I'm going to have to explain how Law and Order is basically still a time capsule of anxieties about the internet from 1990. Um, and that's what this episode feels like in a lot of ways of like, oh God, the robots are coming for us and automation's coming for us. And it's just like, but you're not saying anything new about it, really. Um, I get the creepiness of it, but you're, you're, you're not saying anything new about it and you're not showing it in any new way that we haven't already seen or discussed even. There's no, there's no good spin on it. And I think that the idea that this is a thing that we're living in now hence why this is scary is not enough to justify a vengeful zumba (laughs) (laughs) setting fire to scully's house (laughs) oh dj roomba is is, is evil cousin um yeah you're just you're just much kinder to this one than I am. And you aren't being kind to it. I no, just I'm not. I yeah. hated this episode. Because uh, and, and this is a Glenn Morgan episode. It does feel like a Glenn Morgan episode. And this might have been, if the, if it had, I kept waiting for it to be like a VR simulation or like a, a video game or um, a dream that one of them was having. When at the end, it, no, it all happened. I was like, oh, serious? Seriously? They want us to think this like for realsies? happened um about five minutes in it becomes clear that what what they're doing and then I, and it was just a matter of watching the clock until it ended because yeah like you said this is this is like might have been interesting in the 90s yeah. <laughs> and it's not now uh the neither of the performances are particularly strong uh i mean like anderson does what you can with like the yeah. car being scared in the car right yeah uh, but that's that's there's, there's not much you can do to salvage this, and the the very pat ending doesn't help. It's just they, it's just very uh, dated, and I, I would like to see what Darren Morgan 
would do with these themes. I would like to see what other less um like what was what newer writers to the material would do with these well, themes. Here's the thing about that. These are actually new writers to the um these I thought this, this was, was Glenn Chris- Morgan. No, no, this is not. Um Oh, it must have Glenn been Morgan credit. directed the episode. That's and- where I saw the name. Okay. Right. So, no, this is from Kristen Cloak and Shannon Hamblin. Both of them are new to the X-Files. This was, like, the new X-Files. Oh, um, God. The, then that's yeah, even worse. And, right. So, like, um, I want to say, I think it's Kristen Cloak is actually um, Morgan's wife. Yeah. Because um, she's worked on X-Files, like, a, as, a, like, an actor. Okay. Um, Hang on. Let me double check this. Yeah, she's married to Glenn Morgan. Um, so they didn't, like, stray too far. <laughs> yeah, clearly someone, someone who would be very familiar with the show and have a long relationship with the show. But but still, the point being, this is not a good episode. And yeah, it's just, ugh, God, I'm never going to get those 45 minutes back of my life. Oh, well. Nope. It's not offensive in the way, don't get me wrong, that that credit, you know, the most offensive and, like, angering episode of the show is definitely still the super racist one from last season. But, uh, you know, this is not good. Okay. What wins your week in drama and genre, Noel? Uh, let me look at my list a little bit for a minute. Um, let's see, genre Yeah, not a lot of winners here this week. Yeah, no, there's not a lot of winners this week for me. Um, so I guess I'll give it to the iZombie premiere, though that's just like sort of a really tentative, I give it to you. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to give it to the iZombie. Duh, no. I'm, the Black Lightning episode, I think, yeah. is probably the strongest of uh, the genre and drama stuff that I watched this week. Um, so yeah, no, I'll give it to three sevens, uh, the book of thunder. What about you? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely yeah. black lightning. There was some really great stuff in that episode yeah. and I can overlook all this deep Gamby stuff if they're going to keep giving me such wonderful scenes with right. Jefferson and his kids. So yeah, God, drama and genre, please step it up next week. Okay. Maybe we should be watching like actual drama shows. I don't know. Well, like <laughs> I do need to get back to American crime story. Maybe that was really good. And I do need to catch up with the shy, but, um, yeah, I mean, my escape is fair. Like, Legends was fun. They, they like, had yeah. pirates and, you know, that was Well, that was God, God bless Legends of Tomorrow for being like, you know what? Vancouver Wilderness is totally the Bahamas, everyone. It's just like, oh, no. Hey. This is why you filmed this episode at night. <laughs> I don't care because we got super adorable, fantastic avalanche material this week. Uh, lo- long built up, long built to very satisfying when mm-hmm. it finally paid off here this week. So more on that. And we got Drunk Wally, right? Oh, Drunk Wally was very good. I did enjoy Wally and Rip going to sing karaoke in that Tokyo was, in 1982. That was very, very good. Yeah. That was very good. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully more singing. More singing from Wally uh, on, on future legends, I should hope. Um. Anyways, now we will take a break and come back with our season spotlight on The Tick season one. I guess, or the whole of season one or the second half of season one. And then I'm sure we will reflect on the first half as well. So right back after this. Where'd this pig go from? Why don't we get the old gang back together? Let's call Overkill. 
you get the 48-hour coma punch. Tinfall Kevin. Already on it. Wow, you are good. Superior made it, too. Am I flying right now? There's midnight. Okay, you're throwing a lot at me right now. Danger boat. I'm a boat, but I identify as a male boat. And dot. Shakira. Did you just call your gun Shakira? No. You were right. Tear's alive. He's coming after you. So I came here. To help? Shut up. He seems in a good mood. I guess comparatively, yeah. I am the power. There's something terrible that's about to happen, and we can stop it. Take cover. I am so sorry, Rebecca S. Baumer, beloved wife and Mo. Let's go make some mayhem. was one of the trailers for the second half of the first season of the new latest adaptation of Ben Edlund's The Tick. This is the Peter Serafinowicz uh, version. I, yes, it's the uh, the Griffin Newman version as Arthur, but we all care about who plays the tick, right? This is the Serafinowicz yes. tick. Um, we liked the first half of the season, certainly by the end of the, the, the six or seven episodes we got last fall. Uh, how did the second half live up? to that first half did it build on it or did did the gap kind of make the show suffer a little bit uh the gap sort of made the show suffer just like a little bit for me Mm -hmm. um in regards to the fact that i kind of forgot some stuff that happened (laughs) um so i i i appreciated it previously on um in this instance um but i it was it was good. It was a solid enough conclusion to um, their overall terror arc. And I think there's good humor, terror related, particularly in this episode, in this run of episodes, um, as the terror sort of launches his final plan um, to kill Superion. But. Uh, I, I feel like sort of like the sense of wonder and whimsy and the shift from focus really away from author and the tick um, to focus more on overkill, to focus more on lint, to focus more on terror and to focus more on dot sort of like shifted the focus a little bit away from like the big reason I watch, which is Peter Serafinowicz in a big blue bodysuit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so I enjoyed it. Um, I had, um, fun with it. Um, and I have, like, questions about Walter, um, <laughs> that I would really like to have answered at some point. Um, and I really enjoyed, like, Townsend Coleman, um, coming back to do, uh, Midnight. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, Townsend Coleman voiced the tick in the animated series that aired on Fox Kids, like, 20 years ago. Yeah. So... I really liked, even though Midnight showed up in um, the first half a little bit, I really liked his extended presence in this half. Um, so it was it was good um, overall, and I I I enjoyed what I enjoyed last time, mm-hmm. particularly like again, Yana Martinez just kills it. She just 
kills it, Kate. <laughs> um, but how did you feel about this second half? And how did you feel about Superior's, uh, not Superior, but the Terror's master plan of that didn't make any sense of to use a moth suit to cause the very large man to explode, spraying big bismuth all over the place, and thus killing Superior. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. This was fun. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, listeners, I watched this last week. I had super fun. Like I, I pretty much binged it last Friday. Um, I, I, maybe I spread it out over two days, but I had a lot of fun with these episodes. I can't remember how it ended, really, in any meaningful way. Like I w- Earlier this week, I was trying to remember. It's like, I know I watched that. I remember <laughs> how it ends. I remember Francis Chow getting to kick some butt. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, a stunt double, probably. <laughs> yeah, but Walter getting to kick some butt. I remember, like, some of this stuff. Um, I remember the beginning of the, the, the chunk of episodes, but, like, it really all blurs together and did not have a strong presence, you know, here only, like, half a week and by now a week later. That's not mm-hmm. a good sign. Um, no, it's not. But I did super enjoy it while I was watching it. I think the they were a little heavy with the dot and, and overkill stuff. It's like a little on the nose. I liked the 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 Miss Lint <laughs> overkill stuff though. I thought that was much more successful. And yeah. um just anything that lets Yara Martinez have some fun, I'm gonna be game for. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Uh, I super cosign Townsend Coleman as uh as Midnight. The 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 excuses they had to bring him back were very enjoyable and a lot of fun. I, I hope that they find future, uh, you know, excuses. <laughs> Cause that's all it is. It's not a good reason. Excuses to bring him back. Uh, I thought they did. And they did a good job with like the CG the or mouth. whatever, the mouth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was super fun. Uh, the presence of the take is significantly diminished in this half, but I, um, you know, I think that, having a little space from that character is okay. Uh, if this had all been in like released at once, I don't know how well that would have played. Cause I think I would have felt the difference that shift much more yeah. profoundly. Um, but I really like, I enjoyed the, the, the scientist with the, the, the giant head and everything. I thought that was Dr. Karamazov. I thought that was um, actually surprisingly effective and yeah, goofy yeah. and a lot of fun. I, I still enjoy the, you know, the danger boats over interest or Steve, his code name, Steve being in love with Arthur and Arthur not under knowing that, or just being creeped out um, was, was super fun. <laughs> I identify as a male boat. Oh, so like a mailbox. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we'll see if that is something that they pick up on later. Maybe, maybe Danger Bro can find love in the future with someone who can love him back. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, the, the, the stuff with Superior basically having his own kryptonite, um, took a little bit for me to realize that's what they were doing. Right. Yeah. I had the same issue. But once that became clear, I was like, oh, okay, that, that's fine. Um, I don't know why they're being all mysterious about it, but, um, Okay. Um, and right, it it sort of feels like they're trying to overtly hide the fact that they were doing a Superman Lex Luthor sort of riff, down to the fact that 
the terror invented brown tingle cola and was like flying around in a big T mm-hmm. and it's just like it, they feel like they're trying to not make a big deal out of it but at the same time it's just like but that's exactly what you're trying to do yeah well I just, just own it waiting for some ray to be released that would then activate all the latent big bismuth that is in everyone from drinking the brown tingle cola you know yeah and then that didn't happen I was like oh why is this with the soda then if you're not gonna if there hasn't been something laced into the soda this whole time why did we introduce the whole soda plot line did i miss something or forget something no uh i don't even think it was in the soda he just peed into the soda i know that's what i'm saying yeah. is like why was that a plot line if they weren't gonna like i feel like that's the Chekhov's gun of of this season like you find out that actually he owns big tingle cola he and created yeah he created it and then I think it's just an excuse for there to be a big T on a building that launches out of it. And I, I okay. literally think that was it. Okay. That's yeah. that's not a good enough reason, writers. And to carry through with some business branding satire. Yeah. That sort of worked as like a, that was sort of a runner more so in the previous season with Ramses. Yeah. Um, well, previous half with Ramses and then is sort of like Lost really it. intermittent in yeah. this season as much as they keep trying to run it with the terror but then you just have lint appropriately going this is all nonsense yeah <laughs> but what does work and is absolutely a good enough reason is all the drum stuff and then being like jackie Earl haley's really good at the drums good enough reason good enough reason yeah. to make the the terror obsessed with learning this one crazy fast drum solo like yeah and to have, fun. like, that whole music of the spheres nonsense, as Lynn calls it, like, come into play, because I sort of liked that whole, like, little configuration for that character, yeah. for the terror. I liked that. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. What do you think of the, like, their setup for next year, for the next season? This, like, <sighs> clearly, like, someone or, or, like, the machines are alive and have actually been running things the whole time. Like, what, do you think that they should have just left this standalone or are you excited for where this could go next um well i think that there was always going to be like another sort of arc and i don't know if we're supposed to think that the machines have been running everything or if like um agus is just this sort of like corrupt shield sort of thing yeah um or something that's protecting superior in some sort of way of the terrorist whole thing i'm trying to take the world back Mm-hmm. Um, uh, implies again a very sort of Lex Luthor sort of approach to preventing a alien takeover sort of thing. Um, though it doesn't make sense why he waited so long. <laughs> That's the whole point of his his plans, though, is that they don't make any sense. Yeah. Um. So I'm fine with that, and we'll see how that kind of plays out. Um, as long as it sort of again like refocuses on uh, tick on Arthur, I think I'll be like a lot happier. Um, and I don't even necessarily. I know it's a big part of like a lot of him, but I don't really need like a whole elaborate sort of exploration of his origins. Oh yeah, tick. Yeah. Um, as as sort of amusing as the whole um, backup robot scenario was. <laughs> um. I don't necessarily, like, need a deeper exploration into that. If it's just, like, a silly little runner of, like, him assuming that he's this thing for, like, a couple of episodes, I'm fine with that. I just don't need, like, a bigger exploration of it. Yeah, I think this is the kind of thing that's better off not being answered. Don't answer 
who or yeah. what the the tick is. Have the tick wonder and and you know investigate like the whole thing where, where the tick was deciding he was a robot was delightful. I thought that was, that worked yeah. really well. Um, and I'd be down for more of that. But yeah, um, as for Aegis and I mean like. Again, I kept waiting for Superion actually is evil or like set up his team. Well, to I, fail. I feel like that's where we're eventually building, but okay. But then they set that up hardcore to completely drop it in the second half of the season. It really yeah. felt like then they took a total left turn into just silly physical comedy with Superion. Um, so I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they do, but I would like to see. I would like to if they're going to go there, they then need to pivot back into something more I don't know I, I think the show needs to work on its execution of its threading through the season yeah because I think that's fair it, it's it's the, they are not consistent enough and that that robs the reveals and the, the the twists of a lot of the punch they should be packing and they could be yeah yeah, no, I absolutely agree, and I think that the um, sort of split season doesn't help that at all. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Um, do you have any final thoughts on on the tick and on like? Are you hoping that we see? Oh my goodness, what's his name? The chair guy. Oh, chairface. Chairface. Yeah, I think it's chairface. Um, it's Chippendale or chairface. Chip, um, yeah, chair, chairface. Chair, Chip- chairface Chippendale. That's yeah. his name. That's his actual name. Yes, I do want chairface Chippendale. Why wouldn't you want chairface Chippendale? How could you do that live action? Well, I Robot, mean, you would just. Gr- I mean, maybe. Yeah, I I don't really care as long as they do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I will say that one of the things I was really tickled by and was really pleased with was um, Rosemary uh, Rodriguez, who's a director, I, t- television director I really enjoy, particularly her work on The Good Wife, mm-hmm. um, directed uh, the big bismuth um, episode, um, the risky bismuth episode, which has like the heavier flashback stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always really glad that, like the show has also made sure that like um, Kate Dennis, um, who's also pretty good um uh directed a couple episodes this season as well um so i was really glad to see both of them getting some episodes and rosemary rodriguez in particular uh does this sort of thing really really well i think and it was nice to see her get to play this kind of thing um enjoyably i think um and also like thor um Frenthal, who i know from a lot of like the arrowverse shows directed yeah. um the finale as well as like um their first episode back um uh the tale from the crypt um and he's really good at this sort of like action sequency type stuff um so i was really glad that they got him to come in and do some episodes here so i think that they're like sort of like gathering a really solid directing cabal mm-hmm. um which i think is really going to help them going forward so hopefully that they can keep uh, a number of these folks on tap and rotate them in um uh, if they get a second season uh oh well they are getting a second season uh that won't we won't see until next year mm-hmm. no. so yeah um what about you um Anything? i would like to see some of the crazy other characters i think having just such an outsized villain in terror the terror worked really well this season and especially because of the commitment of jackie earl haley to that character it let the other characters be more grounded while still being ridiculous and it worked like it all kind of overkill so ridiculous but it feels like so base level compared to everyone else yeah <laughs> i don't know that they can sell though something like chairface chippendale 
in live action, and I'm leery of them trying. Like, I, yeah, I kind of don't want them to try because it would be so hard for that to work at all. Now, if 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 it's like a robot or a sentient, like like an AI that came to life and like it took over some sort of like fashioned a body for itself or whatever, then I think you could make that work. Um, but that kind of ruins the 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 daffy you know elegance of that character so mm-hmm. you know maybe it's better not to try i'm not sure i liked um tinfoil kevin coming out of yeah, nowhere he was really good yeah and just like hand waving away some of their show's problems or like the the questions of how, how they were going to execute different things um but i also would like some if they're if, if, I think that's a good place for them to tie into this Aegis stuff if they want, um, with, with Walter being, like, either lying and being a secret agent or having his body taken over um, so that he could fight. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of fun that they could have in this next season. I just hope that they go suitably over the top and big and ridiculous. Yeah. And they don't try to just do a more straightforward story i'm a little leery about it because we've seen stories like that a lot in superhero kind of narratives so where it's like this shady government agency who's actually been taken off and they're evil or fill in the blanks um so i you know i just hope they keep the the tone that they were able to establish in this first season while they're doing something that is theoretically more grounded and not as comic book and cartoony as sure. the terror <laughs> yeah so we'll see what they come up with next um a few show notes here at the end of the episode you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org the website for the podcast you can leave us a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's tv and what you thought of the latest half season of the tick you can also email us the televerse at gmail.com you can like our page on facebook start up a conversation there or find us in itunes with our m3 chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed as well as on stitcher and uh, leave us a rating and review and then of course we're both on twitter i am at the televerse noel you are at noel rk Thank you so much, Noel. Thank you, Kate. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. (laughs) 